0: Hi, this is Bob Hiler of the Bankruptcy Law Success Podcast, where we introduce you to successful bankruptcy lawyers, as well as powerful ideas that can transform your bankruptcy practice. Today, I'm speaking again with Michael Jafar, a bankruptcy attorney who founded Fairmax Law in Detroit. Michael was on the podcast recently, talking about how to discharge private student loans, And I was talking to him after the podcast, and he mentioned casually how the Fair Credit Reporting Act, how he did this one small thing with the FCRA, and that led to him doubling his revenues from his bankruptcy law practice, and that was so cool, I invited him back on the show to tell us all about it. Michael, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me back, Bob. Awesome. So, Michael, you told me this one amazing thing that can double bankruptcy revenues. Can you just repeat what you told me the other day?
1: Yeah, so it's been around for a long time. Back in 1971, President Nixon signed into law the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Basically, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, in essence, in a shell, prevents companies, credit bureaus, from trafficking in our reputation without consequences. That's pretty much what it comes down to. When I explain to people in my lectures and in the, the, the CE book I published about the basic fundamental principle of the FCRA, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, they understand it more with that just one little anecdote than any technical legal provision they could ever read, right? So that was the founding principle of the Fair Credit Reporting Act is there are these shadowy companies out there at the time, obviously. Now we know we know Experian, we know Equifax, we know Transgene, we know what a credit bureau is now. But at the time, they were considered shadowy companies that lurked in the background that traffic in our reputation. Just imagine somebody puts out a company and says, hey, bank, bank A, you know Chase, Chase Bank, Bank of America, I will tell you some gossip about Bob Heiler if you give me 7 bucks." Mm-hmm. That's essentially what the relationship is, right? Mm-hmm. TransUnion charges J- Chase or Bank of America or your prospective employer, somebody who wants to hire you. Uh, The Navy, they charge them $7 to gossip about you. That's really what it is. They won't say it that way, but that's essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. So in 1971, a law was passed called the Fair Credit Reporting Act that basically said, hey, you, you guys can't lurk in the shadows. You can't just say whatever you want about us. And it has big repercussions. If it's true, that's fine. But when you get it wrong, you destroy people's lives. People cannot get credit. People cannot buy a home. People cannot get a job
2: because
1: mm-hmm. you, you mix their reputation with somebody else. You can't just sit back and say, oops, you know, we try to get it right. We have a, you know, 80% rate of being right. And sorry, you know, we we have no relationship with you. We can say whatever we want. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what the fair credit reporting Act came, came to be. So. Under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, is very basic, pretty simple. You have an a- absolute right to get a free credit report every year from these from these uh, uh, jokers every year. One free credit report, and the purpose of that is to allow you to go through it, to peruse the credit report, to see if there's anything on there that's inaccurate. If there's anything that's inaccurate, they are required by law to remove it or correct it. Mm-hmm. You know, but you cannot sue them if they have something incorrect. You have only you only have the right to ask them to correct it, which is called, you know, reinvest, investigation letter. I don't like that name. It doesn't sound right, mm-hmm. but th- that's essentially what it's technically called. But really what a reinvestigation letter is, is, Hey, y- y- you said I lived at this address and you also said I was, I was late on my car payment. That's not true. Go ahead and correct it or else if they correct it. Great. You have no other recourse. If they don't correct it, you are allowed to sue them for damages and for actual damages, which are almost never able to prove, but there's also a fee shifting provision which is what where we come in as attorneys there is a fee shifting provision where they are required to pay all of your lawyer fees if you end up suing them right so essentially what happens is credit bureaus they're they're good, they're good organizations uh, i'll be honest they're good organizations they there's no way anybody can get can get it right when they have that massive of, of of an information operation mm-hmm. right just imagine I task you with getting everything right about every American about all their payments every single month, everywhere to everybody, and never get it wrong. You would tell me there 's no way there 's no way of doing that. Well, there is a way of doing it, but it 's only eighty percent accurate okay and that 's not my opinion. Those are the statistics that I, there 's a sixty minute special. Uh, on 60 Minutes by Steve Crossley, reporter, in August, I think, of 2016. In the name of the special on 60 Minutes was called 40 Million Errors. That was the name of it, right? Mm-hmm. And 40 Million Errors is because there are 200 million Americans with credit profiles. People think that everybody has a credit report. That's actually not true. Only 200 million Americans are known by the credit bureaus. There's about, there's about 100 million people that are completely unknown to them, right? Mm-hmm. They're completely unknown. So 20% of all Americans, meaning 40 million Americans with the credit reports, 40 million, have inaccuracies that are just completely wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that nobody knows that I've always been talking about, I've always been lecturing about, and that finally 60 Minutes got it right, is just because you pull a credit report and you see what your credit report says yourself, that doesn't mean that is what the credit bureau is telling, people, telling other people about you. hmm they are conveying different information about you to people who ask about you than they are conveying to you to your face when you ask for a credit report. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not intentional. Actually, you know, I think it is intentional, but they don't intentionally get it wrong. What happens is when you ask for a credit report, you put in a lot of identifying information. You put in your full social security number, your last three known addresses. You input your data, You input your answer, three security questions. You do all of that. Right, uh-huh. so they always know who they're talking to when they give you a credit report. So their database fits out a credit profile that is accurate to you, as far as what they what they say to you. Right, uh-huh. they have mistakes in there, but they know they're talking to you. But when a lender pulls your credit report, they don't put in all that information. They put in the last four of your social, they put in your name, and maybe that's it. Maybe your address. So what the credit bureau does is they compile a report that encompasses a lot of information that may apply to you or may not apply to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they'll tell them, Hey, this most likely is him, but this other thing might be him. We're not sure, but we're going to give it to you anyway for your consideration. Mm-hmm. So they might pull in your brother's information. They might pull in your cousin's information. They might pull in your dad's information who, who who might might be in jail. And so most people don't know that, but that is a fact, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that area of the law, the hotbed of litigation for consumer attorneys, it's like, shooting fish in a barrel, right? Now bring bankruptcy into the fold. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't obviously just sue credit bureaus just in the bankruptcy context, but the bankruptcy context is the easiest, okay? It is the easiest. But I don't just sue them in the bankruptcy context. Now, here's how bankruptcy attorneys come into play, okay? When you file a bankruptcy, that is the only time that credit bureaus have an absolute affirmative requirement to correct your credit report without you Doing any work without you sending them any letters, without you calling them, without you begging them, right? Right now, if you're walking around and you're minding your own business and you don't need to file bankruptcy and you don't file bankruptcy, you might have incorrect information in your credit report, but you can't do anything about it other than ask them to change it. Yeah. And if they don't change it, then you call a guy like me, and I'll tell you, thank you so much for bringing this case to my attention. I'll give you a Christmas basket next year. I'm so happy you brought it to my attention. I I know I'm going to make money and I know you're going to make money. I'm not going to charge you any money. I'm going to file a lawsuit and we will settle it pre motion. Okay. Okay. But with bankruptcy clients, it's even better. The, The fair credit reporting act absolutely requires them, but places a burden on them to take affirmative steps to correct your credit profile within a reasonable time. Reasonable time is basically 30 days. Okay. It's really, it should happen within an hour okay. because the credit bureau doesn't physically manually do work. They have basically an algorithm. Mm-hmm. So really their algorithm, whatever they update within, they do something called the nightly scrub. So if you file bankruptcy, even if you don't, even if you don't notify anybody, they'll know about it within basically by midnight, Okay, by midnight that day. Right. But basically after 30 days, if somebody files a bankruptcy and they pull their credit report and they're are inaccuracies, then there's litigation right there, right? They are they only are allowed to do the following to your credit report when you file bankruptcy. They can completely delete a negative trade line, like just delete it as though it never existed, which they don't usually do, but they can, which is great for you. Or they can update it to say zero dollar balance owed, discharged, no no delinquency, no late payments, nothing, no more payment history. No more. That, that's the that's the beauty, right? Because your client walks into a credit deal. That's most attorneys don't really know why, when their clients file bankruptcy, they see a hundred point increase in their credit score, and why their clients are inundated with credit card offers, and why their clients are able to walk into a car dealership and get a loan right away. They don't know the mechanics behind it. I'll tell them the mechanics right now.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: mechanics are: before the bankruptcy, they pulled the credit report, and it had a bunch of red boxes, and yellow boxes, and and black boxes, right? A delinquent delinquent 120 days more 120 days more 100 more 30 days on this month there the 60 days on that month that's all that that's all the, the creditor sees and the creditor just throws that in the garbage it says you know go file bankruptcy and come back to me later but after the bankruptcy when the creditor pulls the credit report, there is nothing but just a clean white sheet no more doubt da- balance no more debt no more delinquency zero dollar owed everything is completely copacetic mm-hmm. Right,
0: but Michael, don't they still? I mean, they do put the bankruptcy on there. So it's, I mean, yes, they wipe out. That doesn't out. hurt.
1: That doesn't. That doesn't hurt you. That doesn't hurt your credit. That That's a big myth. That's a big misnomer. Okay. If you're a lender, right? If you're a lender, how do you keep your doors open? Let's say you're a bank, you're Chase Bank, you have a vault full of cash, mm-hmm. which is what you are, and the cash is, let's just say, let's say you have a trillion dollars in the bank, mm-hmm. and you close it and lock it, and say, I'm not going to take any risk and give it to people. What happens to your bank? Goes out of business in a minute right? Okay. It goes in five seconds, you're out of business. Why? Who's going to pay the bill? Uh, you know, you, you have these beautiful institutions around the country that allow people to walk up, throw cash at your employees and expect everything to be right. Your employees count the cash for them, deposit it for them, keep it safe for them. They can draw from it. They can write checks from it. They can use a debit card. They can go, they can go to Spain and have their money secure and access their money within five seconds. You're doing all that for free, right? How Why are you doing it? You're not doing it because you're a benevolent organization. You're doing it. Why? Because you want to charge money, right?
0: Sure. But as you go through the credit cycle, the banks and the institutions are going to be more or less willing to extend uh, loans to people who have recently been through a backup episode. No. No, I'm glad
1: you brought that up. So we we, we know that now that banks have to lend their money. Who is the biggest risk to default on an unsecured loan? Person A, who makes $40,000 a year, is delinquent on a bunch of debts. And or even he's not delinquent. He's never been delinquent in his life, but he has $50,000 in credit card debt and $13,000 in medical bills, and he's on a payment plan and he's never missed a payment. Mm -hmm. Person number two has the same situation, same exact situation, same exact income, same exact circumstances, same exact budget. Only difference is he filed bankruptcy yesterday Mm -hmm. or he got a bankruptcy discharge yesterday. Which one of them is more of a credit risk? It's person A, Mm -hmm. the guy who has not yet filed bankruptcy. Because person B, can cannot file bankruptcy for another eight years, and he has no more debt, no more bills. He can easily afford to, to repay your loan if you give him a loan. The other guy can file bankruptcy at any minute. Mm-hmm. If you give him a loan, you're just adding another straw on the camel's back. Mm-hmm. It's going to break, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, no, the bankruptcy itself is not hard to credit, and that's just objectively, objectively verified.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let's take, let's, uh, let's take a breath for a moment, and let's pull back and look at the bankruptcy lawyer. Look at all this from the bankruptcy lawyer's perspective. So, the FCRA, from a bankruptcy lawyer's perspective, if you're a bankruptcy lawyer who's not doing the FCRA, who's not doing FCRA cases, and you start doing FCRA cases after you've got things going, like what, how how much of an increase in revenue can you see from just A, strictly taking money from bankruptcy filers, Mm -hmm. and B, taking that money and also doing Mm -hmm. FCRA cases?
1: You can never take any money. If you're representing your bankruptcy filers, all of the money you're going to make is after the case is discharged, right? It's not going to be before. But if you bring FCRA into your practice, you're going to get a bunch of people who are going to come in who have inaccuracies on their credit report. And just as a bankruptcy attorney in general, people call your office for all kinds of stuff. They call your office and they say, I don't want to file bankruptcy. I have something on my credit report that's inaccurate. Mm It's not right, right? So that's a good red flag. But to be honest with you, if you want to make it systematic and you want to make sure you make money, you can do what I do, which is you make it a policy to follow up with your clients 30 days after discharge or 60 days after discharge or any time that you want. But don't don't wait too long and tell them, pull your credit report for free. And I'll review it for you for free. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and and if people want to enter into a referral relationship with myself, I, I'm more than happy to do it because I, I, I can represent anybody from around the country, right? It's a, it's a federal law, right? Mm-hmm. You can get in touch with an attorney like me if you don't want to take the time and learn it. It takes, takes a while to learn it, obviously. It's a, mm-hmm. you got to learn the FCRA. I mean, it's a complicated statute. It's easy for me now. I've written CE books about it. I know it. But you just get your college credit report. My statistics show that 20% of my discharge clients have inaccuracies on their credit reports. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say 20%, that's, that's a number that I have tested, but that's also a number that 60 Minutes has, t- has tested. Mm-hmm. 60 Minutes for the special, 40, 40 million errors. That was the name of the special. So the credit bureau tries to get it right. They get it wrong 20% of the time. The beauty of people who receive a, di- a discharge is they don't have to send a reinvestigation letter. Now we send a trap to the credit bureau by sending a reinvestigation letter to to add more claims when we file the case. But I mean you make money. Now just so you know, for every case you're not making a thousand bucks. Wait,
0: it. wait, wait. Can you can you can you back up there and I say what is the trap that you're setting for the for the credit
1: we still send. We send a, reinv- a first-party re-investigation letter, just kind of saying, you know, update my credit report, yada 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 yada. And they, you know, they kind of just throw it in the garbage. And then when we file a case, we say, well, look, we sent a letter on this day. They ignored it. We filed bankruptcy. They know. They know. They knew about it. They ignored it. They didn't do their job. So we want a thousand bucks for our client, and we want our attorney fees, right? And that's the way we litigate it.
0: But you're sending that letter after you request, so th- you file for the bankruptcy. Well, the bankruptcy is discharged, right? The bankruptcy needs to be discharged. Yeah, and then you wait yeah. thirty days or sixty days. Then you have the client request a credit report. Then you review it. If you, if you see any inaccuracies, you is then you you do send a re-investigation letter, or what did you call it?
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. Sometimes we don't. Uh, it depends on the case. If the case is really strong, without a reinvestigation letter, we just file the case under an unreasonable procedures uh, uh, claim. Uh-huh. Which there's two claims you can make against a credit bureau. There's unreasonable procedure claim or failure to reinvestigate claim. Failure failure to reinvestigate claim requires you to send a reinvestigation letter and then prove that they didn't do the investigation right mm-hmm. unreasonable procedure means that the credit bureau themselves has an unreasonable procedure mm-hmm. which does not require notice to the credit bureau you just you just sue them based on their on their own procedures
0: okay so you're saying there's a thousand there's a thousand dollar go ahead and explain what the payouts are for the the
1: a typical a typical case almost without fail is going to settle where the client gets about a thousand dollars. In damages and a completely updated credit report, and the attorney can expect about four or five thousand dollars in attorney fees Mm
0: -hmm.
1: without having to litigate, without having to go to court, without having to do anything. Mm -hmm. Literally, no litigation, no discovery, nothing.
0: Now, you told me something when we were just talking on the phone the other day. You said something about how long it's been since the last time you were in court for an FCRA case. Can you uh, how long has it been? About ten years, about nine years. So you haven't even been in into court because you, presumably all these cases are settling, right?
1: I've never, I've, I've, yeah, I've never done a trial ever. I filed a massive amount of these cases, never done a trial, been in, been been to court one time, uh, never even argued a motion.
0: <laughs> now these cases are these are these FCR cases received differently in different courts around the country, or is it a pretty standard response?
1: Pretty standard, pretty standard. Uh-huh. Pretty standard. The, the 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 boss is one is, is one person in the entire country for every credit bureau. There's one boss, right? Uh-huh. And they have one policy. and We know the policy. You know, we're not going to sit here and go to court mm-hmm. and maybe potentially lose a case, which creates precedent that requires us to change our whole entire business model. We can't do it, mm-hmm. right? Ninety nine point nine percent of people don't do anything about inaccuracy on the credit board, Never right mm-hmm. uh, they might they might call lexington law which is a dumb company and they might you know they might just send us a bunch of letters and maybe eventually we update it but we never you know we're making so much money we're not going to sit here and have a judge tell us change you are no longer allowed to use an indian offshore center and entering two-digit responses to credit inquiries can't do that. We do that now, and that saves us a lot of money. But if we're told that we have to sit here and physically sit down and review a file, well, we'll shut down overnight because we can't do that. We can't afford it, mm-hmm. you know, unless we charge a hundred dollars for a credit report, which we're not going to do. Okay. So there's a system there. There's there's a cottage industry and credit bureaus. You can look at it. it, it I, I'm looking for the I'm looking for the case that's going to show up. Where somebody's credit report causes them a million dollars in damages. I've never seen it. There are a couple of cases, or one case out of Seattle that was a, it was like a ten million dollar case, and another case in another state, I forget the state, but it was a million dollar case. But they're very rare. We we envy those cases. Mm-hmm. If that case comes across my desk, I will know, I will spot it because we do a lot of trials, uh-huh. you know, we do a lot of motions, we do a lot of litigation, as you know from the student loan stuff, mm-hmm. right? But. We just don't. We've never done it, and the and the credit reporting and the FCRA cases, because thankfully those guys know how to play ball. They know how to uh, understand when they are wrong. And admit that they're wrong, and make your client right. If somebody makes an offer to make your client right, and your client says, "I will accept." Mm-hmm. right? You really don't have the option, and you don't have, you have the ethical duty to settle that case for your client, sure. right Sure, sure. on um, in other contexts, if your client was damaged a hundred grand and somebody offers them five thousand and your client does want to settle, then you go to trial. But in the credit reporting uh, realm, if if the credit bureau tells you to, uh, conveys an offer mm-hmm. that you have to tell your client, and the offer is, I'm going to completely delete these trade lines, completely delete them. And I'm going to pay your client a thousand bucks and I'm going to pay your lawyer fees. And you tell your client, the client says, yes, I don't want to go to trial. I want to settle it. Mm-hmm. Then you're done. And the credit bureaus are right by doing that, because why would they go to trial? Because they go to trial and they have to spend 20, 30,000 in lawyer fees against a guy like me who mm-hmm. knows the law well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who knows the law really, really well, who will hold them to account. And they had to do that with me if that 's their policy, then guess what they 'll go out of business because they have to do it with everybody yeah. they have to do it with every single person i mean they, they are there are these cases all around the country yeah. so they they, they 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 do it right they they do it right
0: so Michael, you had mentioned to me that you can uh, almost double your revenue, so I wanted to walk through some numbers to see how you can uh, almost double your revenue and so, I want you to reality check some numbers as I, as I, as I walk through them. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Okay, so how much would you say the average i don't know let's let's stick to chapter seven. So what's the average chapter seven for most people in re- I mean, retainers? I mean,
1: it's different from district to district in in, in Michigan it's about seven hundred bucks, eight hundred bucks in other districts it's fifteen hundred It really depends.
0: okay, so if you have seven hundred bucks. For a Chapter 7 and you have 100 cases, then you're going to make $70,000. You also mentioned that there's 20% of those cases after discharge, 20% of those cases are going to result in a mistake that you can take an action on, right? Yeah, about 20%, yep. And then how much can you make in attorney's fees on average for a case like this? About four or 5000 per case. Okay, so let's say 4500 Yep. So if you're looking at 20 cases, 20 FCR cases with 4500 in average attorney fees then that's $90,000 in FCR FCR revenue from those 100 initial filings, right? Yes. Yeah. And if you're only making $700 off of each chapter 7, which is pretty low, it's a pretty competitive rate. But that, that's $70,000 in bankruptcy bankruptcy revenue, right? Yes. So you're making $90,000 from FCRA cases where you're getting paid by the credit bureau versus $70,000 in straight up bankruptcy revenue, right? Yeah. And another interesting way of putting that is that instead of your average case being worth $700, it's actually worth $1,600 because you're getting paid by the credit bureaus. Yes, so, really, if you're taking a bankruptcy-mail approach, you have to do the FCRA cases. Would you? Is that true? Or
1: I mean, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah. More importantly, uh, here's the way I look at it. Let's just say the FCRA doesn't exist. What are you taught in marketing 101, right? Let's say market t- – t- the t- FCRA just doesn't even exist, right? Uh-huh. Marketing 101, you don't leave a client at the discharge stage and then just say, thank you, have, have a great life.
2: Uh-huh.
1: You want to market your services and you want to market yourself and remind them that you're there. Mm-hmm. So in 100% of the cases, not 20%, 100% of the cases, you're winning. Because in 100% of the cases, you are reaching out to your client to pull their credit report, yeah. for them to pull their credit report. And you are going to tell them, "I'm gonna I'm going to help you. Go through it. Mm-hmm. And even if they just ignore you, at a very minimum, you're reminding them that you stuck it out with them and you cared about their credit and they're going to refer you. Yeah. And the people who pull their credit report and everything is, is copacetic and there's no case there, that client is very satisfied. Yes, They are very, very, very satisfied because they're like, wow, this completely cleared my credit. Yeah. There's nothing on there and the guy just stuck with me.
2: Uh-huh. And
1: you can advertise that service before they retain you. And you are going to retain more clients. If you're pitched to a client, I'm going to help you wipe out your debt and get a discharge. Great. But if your pitch is, I'm going to help you get a discharge, wipe out your debt, and I'm going to stick it out with you for the few months after to pull your credit report, to review it, to make sure everything is off of it. And if things are not off your credit report, I'm going to help you wipe it out. And I'm not going to charge you a penny. And I'm going to actually get you paid. And you're going to retain more clients. It's It's more of a philosophy that I've followed. Right, and I don't know what part of my success is related to that Mm -hmm. because you just don't know. Once you develop a policy, once you develop a way of doing business, Mm
2: -hmm. then
1: it just kind of everything works. You don't know in what proportion it worked. You don't know is eighty percent of it attributable to that, twenty percent of it. But I can guarantee you a a portion of a good portion of it is attributable to that. And if you make just an extra $10,000 a year doing FCRA cases, mm-hmm. you'll make a lot more. But let's just say you make an extra $10,000 a year, just an extra $20,000 a year doing FCRA cases. That's extra money that you can use to advertise for bankruptcy cases. And then the whole thing kind of just folds on on top of one another. It just yeah. kind of like a, like, a, like a snowball effect.
0: Michael, that's a really interesting way of putting it. If you change the situation a little bit, I think it makes it more obvious, like how doing this work leads to a better result. Let's say that you're a doctor and you cure cancer 100% of the time, but then you never meet with the patient after you've cured his or her cancer and said, your cancer's cured. Well, that person's going to be kind of freaked out about cancer for the next year, five years, How you know. But if you actually meet with them and say, hey, not only did I cure your cancer, but here's your blood test and you're totally cured. They're going to be crying with tears of happiness, and it's just a much better experience for them. Yeah, no,
1: I, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm all about I'm all in favor of following up with clients and giving them a, giving them a total experience. You know, I thought of this back when I was still in law school, and one of my buddies filed bankruptcy with my other with my other friend's older brother, who was a bankruptcy attorney, mm-hmm. and he was maligning that attorney. And I said, Well, what's your, what, what was your experience? Is like, everything's still on my credit report. He did nothing for me. He hurt me. He didn't do anything. He did the bankruptcy. I paid him, and and everything's still on my credit report. And that stuck with me Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: I knew I was going to become a bankruptcy attorney right? when I was in law school. And that stuck with me. It stuck with me because I had to figure out why did that happen. And I figured out, basically, when I became an attorney, all of my colleagues would complain and say, you know, we do the we do the bankruptcy, but God knows if the credit bureau takes things off their credit report. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And a young man, when you file a bankruptcy, you always tell your clients, "I'm not a credit uh, report attorney. I can't guarantee you the credit bureau is going to do their job. You got to send them letters." Mm-hmm. And and that is exactly when I came up with the whole philosophy. I researched FCRA, I studied it, I sat down, I committed myself for about seven months. Seven months, I read two to three hours a day from the NCLC manual and every book and every case I could find, and I became a subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. Then I folded into my bankruptcy practice, and then from that point on, I never looked back.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, Michael, let's uh, take a step back here, because the cool thing about what you've told me is that with one action, you can kind of double your revenue, and that one action is having the client pull his or her credit report 30 or 60 days after the bankers would discharge. So we know that that works and we've run the numbers and we can see how that's profitable. Let's start, let's kind of start over and let's talk about what we can do to get the maximum number of people to actually pull their credit report. Actually, let's first go into why does a client need to be the one to pull the credit report? Why can't you or a paralegal at your office pull the credit report? Why does it have to be the client? Let's start there.
1: Long story. Won't
0: happen. Cannot happen. Credit bureaus,
1: uh, the law protects them. They do not have to pull credit reports to anybody except for a permissible end user. An attorney is the exact opposite of a permissible end user. You will never be allowed to pull someone's credit report. Don't even try. There are long, long, long ways of really, really working your tail off to get consent from your client and then they still reject you and then they ask your client to send them three identifying pieces. It's it's a mess. Don't even don't even try. The only permissible end users for a credit report are banking institutions, governments, and the actual credit the, the actual individual themselves. That's it. Attorneys are not permissible end users. You never will be. We will never be allowed to do it. Whereas a person pulling their own credit report, they can do it in in, in two minutes for free without any problem. That's the first reason. Okay. The second reason is I read an amazing book a long time ago that changed my life when I used to suffer through this by an amazing, amazing uh, uh, book by a consumer attorney, right? And he was a consumer attorney that did Lemon Law, okay? He said, I have a policy on the practice of consumer law. If you want to make money in consumer law and actually be a consumer law attorney, here's here's my philosophy. I do warranty law. A lot of people come to me and they complain and they say, I took my car to this mechanic and this mechanic, you know, ruined my car. I talked to another mechanic, a master mechanic who's licensed, who's certified. And they said, yeah, you could sue them for that. And they they were negligent. I have a policy. I do not meet with that client. I refuse to take their case. I don't do anything. You know what I tell them? Mm -hmm. Before you ever come to my office and meet with me, I will take your case. I will not charge you any money. I will do everything. I'll I'll go to the moon for you. but so I have one requirement. You have to fill out this application here, and you have to go get what that other uh, mechanic told you. I need you to get it to me in writing mm-hmm. over his signature before I meet with you, before the first meeting. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do that is because, hey, I'm already a consumer attorney. I'm already working for pennies. I'm not also going to take everybody's story at face value. I can't do it because everyone's gonna give you a soft sword. And everyone's gonna tell you that their case is the right case, is the real case.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas, and every mechanic who wants to sell you on their services is gonna tell you, yeah, the other mechanic was you know, was, was wrong and they messed, they messed up your car and you can sue them for it. They're gonna tell you that because they want you to hire them, right? Sure. But when you actually present them with a written document saying, hey, sign this, that this is your opinion, they're going to they're gonna double back at that point. Sure. And so why am I going to waste my time and chase them to sign a statement? You do it. Well, I already know most of the time they're going to refuse to sign the statement. Okay. Now, what does that have to do with credit reports? Great. Here's what it has to do with credit reports. If somebody is truly, truly, truly wanting your services, truly, and they truly, truly want to move forward with your services, they, at a very minimum, should invest five minutes in pulling their own credit report. You don't want to make it that convenient for them. If you make it that convenient for them, then when you work your tail off and you get the credit report and then you prepare the complaint and you're ready to sign it and you need them to sign it, they might say, ah, I'm too busy. I'm taking a nap. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Or, you know, I I don't know. You know, how much is this going to cost me? Nothing. I mean, yeah, I got to come to your office and sign the the retainer, the complaint. I'll get, I'll get back to you. Mm Right. Right. You remember something? We are consumer attorneys. We are not representing millionaires and billionaires. We're not representing people who own business. You know, we're, uh, most of the time, we're representing people that are completely scared of anybody in a suit. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're representing people that are can live in perpetual fear. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so if somebody's not willing to invest five minutes in pulling their own credit report, I don't want that person's case. Okay, and so one, once I came up, once I came up with that philosophy. My life became a lot simpler and a lot easier, and I was working less and making more progress for my clients and making more money.
0: Okay. So there's another issue here, which is that what's the website where you can get your free credit report once a year?
1: So under the federal statute, the law created something called a centralized source that requires credit bureaus to to give you your credit report for free easily without you having to pay money, and that is annualcreditreport.com. That is not a business to make money. That is a thing called the centralized source.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: referenced in the, in the statute. That is a, that is a requirement for credit bureaus to give it to you there. Everybody else who says they're free, they're not, that's actually truly free. And it's, and it's, uh, required by federal law. Now, having said that, I've revised that lately to also add credit karma. Credit karma has passed my test. Credit karma is a new app. Mm-hmm. It really is genuinely free. I was suspicious of it in the beginning because everybody else, like there's a website called freecreditreport. dot com. It wasn't free. It by definition it wasn't. Free. You had to put in your credit card information and sign up for a monthly service. All these other companies. Anyway, point is those other people are not really the ones you want to use. You want to use annualcreditreport.com. dot com. But Credit Karma, I could also see Credit Karma also hedging their way. We're we're getting uh, we're getting credit reports from that for free our clients are uh, using them as exhibits to complaints and it's, it's working out well okay but annualcreditreport.com is the best by far if your client goes on to annualcreditreport.com they'll get their credit report for free
0: great so here's my next question which is that uh, you know I, i'm a marketing consultant specializing in bankruptcy helping uh, bankruptcy lawyers a lot of bankruptcy lawyers seem to divide into two groups the first group of bankruptcy lawyers ask prospective clients to pull their own credit report the second group uses a service like Send Legal Data Services, something like that, to pull the credit report for the customer. It's not, it's not a traditional credit report, but it gives them the information necessary to, to kind of audit their finances for the, for the bankruptcy filing. My question is, if someone has already pulled their credit report prior to filing from annual… No, no, no. Go
1: ahead. No, no, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I am Mr. Sin Legal Group. I absolutely insist on you insist on using it on all my bankruptcy files. I pull a sin, I, and I pull the premium one, not the basic one. I pull the one that actually costs an, uh, an extra ten bucks. The forty dollar,
0: the forty dollar one,
1: which tells them that the, yeah, the, the the one the predictive credit score that that gives you your predictive credit score. I use it in sales. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. That's not a credit report. That is a bankruptcy report. Yeah. Don't don't be confused with that. With that's not a credit report.
0: Well, what about bankruptcy lawyers that ask their clients to generate their, a free credit report from a service like annualcreditreport.com? I
1: don't like that. I like pulling the sin. Here is the thing. It saves you money and time and data entry to pull to pay money, pull their credit report, and import everything into their Schedule F than to just get their regular credit report and have to go through it. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I'm an absolute advocate of pulling the SIN report. It's an absolutely beautiful report. Mm-hmm. It gives you things that the credit bureau now won't even give you, which is the records of lawsuits, judgments, taxes, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I absolutely recommend pulling the SIN report. Okay. But that's not a real credit report. So that's not a real credit report. It doesn't have payment history. It doesn't have delinquent. It doesn't have any of that stuff. Uh, You know, that's a pre-bankruptcy report. That's not a report that you pull after the case is filed, you know.
0: So what if you don't use SIN legal data services right now, and you ask your clients to pull a credit report outside of SIN, and you just tell them, go to annualcreditreport.com and and pull that and bring that. In. It won't matter. What about the, you only get one free credit report a year though.
1: Yeah, yeah, you you, you can, but you can get another one from the same website, but you just pay seven bucks.
0: Oh, it's just $7. Okay.
1: Yeah, just $7. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Or you or you go to
1: Credit Karma or you go to Credit Karma and get it for free okay. uh, all the time. All
0: right. And the, do you know how Credit Karma makes money? I mean, I've seen their ads. I don't know how they make Yeah,
1: money. I know how they make money. Yeah, I know. They, they make money the same way all the other guys, the guys that used to charge you and they don't charge you anymore. They all make money the same way by uh, promoting you. For, they, 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 they sell your information. Uh, they sell space on their website to, to uh, lenders who want to advertise for their, for their loans. And those lenders pay them money to promote them for people to use them to borrow money. Oh, okay. They're basically like YouTube. You know, they're basically just like YouTube. You come to me for to for for to watch content, and then I'm going to charge people to sell uh, lipstick and and nail polish. Uh, with Credit Karma, you, you you people come to me for their credit. I'm going to let Bank of America advertise a new promotional rate on vehicle loans. Okay, that's how they make money. They're very happy to be free. Trust me. They want they they want everyone in the United States of America having their app and using it for a reference for their credit.
0: Okay let's again from the bankruptcy lawyer's perspective let's take a step back and let's look at what you should say to the prospect through the throughout the bankruptcy filing process to maximize the chance that they will actually pull their credit report 30 to 60 days after the bankruptcy discharge right
1: yeah get pull their credit report and then give it to the attorney and again if the attorney sees any inaccuracies then at that point, he can reach out to any attorney that he trusts that knows how to do these cases or they can, you know, I'm I'm not trying to promote my, myself, but sure. they can reach out to me and I, and I could easily, I'd be happy to
0: take the case. Obviously, I take it on contingency. Mm-hmm.
1: I pay referral fees to attorneys and that's the way it works.
0: Okay. But the brunt of my question here is what should we say to prospects to maximize the chance that they'll actually pull their credit report? Like from day one... Are there things that you can say to your prospective client even before they come to you, even before they retain you as a bankruptcy client that increase the chance that they'll actually pull their own credit report 30 or 60 days after the discharge?
1: Yeah, there's absolutely something they can do, absolutely. When I first if you if you ha- first it has to become a part of your culture because it's a part of your culture if it, then it permeates throughout your organization. If you're if you're a solo practitioner, that's easy. If you're not a solo practitioner, it becomes harder. If you have a larger firm, it becomes very tough. But it, it can be done. You got to make it as a you got to make it a part of your culture. And the way it becomes a part of your culture is you tell everybody when you first sell a client, sell a person on credit on our bankruptcy services, you say everything the way you're saying it now, but at the end of the the pitch you say and by the way we're going to stick with you after the discharge to make sure everything's off your credit report and if it's not we're going to sue the credit bureau we're not going to charge you a penny and we're going to get you paid and it's an absolutely 100% accurate promise Uh you know that that you're allowed to make once you make that a part of your culture then at that point the client is aware and they're apprised from day one that that's a possibility and believe it or not clients cling on to that they don't forget that that's a big deal to them okay Mm -hmm. and And you sell more vacancies. Then after that is done, then it's easy for you to have an assistant or somebody be designated to hey, when we get a discharge, right now we're getting. Right now every firm has a protocol with discharges. Something they do something with a discharge. They notate the file. They send a letter to the client. Something. Yeah. Well, just add to that protocol. Whatever your protocol is, add to that protocol. Hey please go on to annualcreditreport.com, pull your credit reports for free, and call us. And just, if you want, just schedule people for an appointment. Mm-hmm. Schedule them for a telephone consultation.
0: Okay. Right? So you just have them email their the PDF that they pull from yeah. annual credit report. They say, email that to us. and Yes. And using this protocol, what percentage of your... Of, like, a, out of every hundred filers, what percentage of people actually get back to you? I'll
1: give you an example. We called 14 people yesterday, and four of them were so excited they went and pulled their credit report yesterday. Uh-huh. The other 10, we have to leave a voicemail for. Okay. And they'll probably call back. That's just yesterday. They People do it, people want that. People have nothing else going on, mm-hmm. they have the ability to clean up their credit report. I mean, they're, they're, people look forward to a couple of things every year when they file bank. They look forward to their tax return and they look forward to the ability to go and finance a vehicle, a brand new car, a nice Chevy Malibu, a nice Chevy something, something mm-hmm. they can put their family in mm-hmm. that runs that they don't have to go to a used car dealership but they can actually walk into the dealership and not be kicked out. Mm -hmm. And they were told by their attorney and on the internet and by Google and by their colleagues at the bar who also filed bankruptcy, that if you file bankruptcy, all the harassment stops and your credit will improve and you can get, you can actually get a loan. You're not going to get rejected for a loan. Mm -hmm. So if their, if their attorney tells them go pull your credit report and I'm going to make sure everything is completely off or I'm going to sue them. If it's not, Mm -hmm. people take that very seriously. They take it very seriously. But for them to take it seriously, the attorney has to take it seriously first.
0: Absolutely. That's that's the first thing you learn about leadership, right? That the, What the leader thinks is important. Yes. You mentioned earlier that you mentioned that 20% of credit reports are wrong. Do you point that out to your prospective clients when they're retaining you, that, that this is an important step that they want to take for their own protection because 20% of the time their credit report will still have mistakes on it? Yes. And they respond well to that message.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I protect myself, too. I protect myself because one one type of call that I never receive in my practice, that I'm pretty sure every other bankruptcy attorney receives, is why is everything still my credit report? Uh-huh. What did I pay you for? I, I am pretty sure every bankruptcy attorney sees that all around the country uh-huh. with 20% of their clients. I don't. People call me back and say the, the following. They say, yeah, you told me so.
2: Yeah.
1: And I didn't listen to you. And I was wrong, and you were right. Yeah. Can you still help me out? And I tell people, yes. Awesome. And then you know that 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 those are the types of calls I get.
0: Well, that's nice. I mean, that's very nice. I mean, I, I hate I hate when I work really hard for a customer, and then the customer comes back, and I'm like, oh, actually, you have a point. You know, you know I let you down. That's the worst yeah. feeling in the world as a service provider. One of the things that you just mentioned is that you're going to have like a after the, a post discharge process where you contact the customer or the client. Uh, And at that time, you can tell them to pull their credit report, but that's not going to be 30 to 60 days after the discharge. So how do you handle that time shift? Do you know what I mean?
1: I actually, what I do is I move them to a stage in my database where there's an automatic task for my assistant that actually says, call them to get their credit report. And they stay in that step for 60 days. Uh And, And then we follow up with them twice in the next 60 days, and then after that, we move them to another step where we keep sending them emails every 30 days telling them you never pulled your credit report for free, you have the absolute right, yada, 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 and then that way we keep following up with them. If we follow up with them with two phone calls and voicemails and emails for... Emails and voicemails for two years, and they have no, they have no, you know, incentives to do it. Then at that point, then that, that's fine. That, that maybe they moved on. Maybe they maybe they never want to think about the process again. Maybe they died. Maybe maybe you never know. But the vast majority of people, the overwhelming majority of my clients, take it seriously and they go for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Otherwise, they wouldn't have filed bankruptcy in the first place.
0: Sure. No, I know. I see what you're saying. The whole point of bankruptcy is essentially, to have a clean credit report and to get creditors to stop hassling you, So,
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So you talked about automating your follow-up. Do you use like Infusionsoft or one of these sorts of services to automate your follow-up?
1: I almost use Infusionsoft. I use ActionStep. ActionStep is a total practice management database, and there's many like it. I recommend it to my friends and colleagues, but it doesn't matter what you use. I mean, everything, you know, time matters, Clio, you know, my case, Rocket Matter, every, there's a lot of nice practice management softwares that allow you to operate a, you know, a volume business.
0: Okay. And how, so how often in terms of follow up, what do you, what have you found to be effective? You ask your assistant to follow up with customers. So let's walk through an actual example. Someone, uh, their bankruptcy is discharged on January 1st. Then you're going to wait, let's say, 60 days to contact them, well, you might contact them right away and then wait 60 days to tell them to pull their credit report. Uh, What? So now we're talking uh, March 1st, and you start contacting them, or your assistant does, what do you have your assistant do in that first week?
1: I have her call the client to tell them, you know, congratulations, you received your discharge. Here's what that means, and here's here's why this is good news, and let's talk about your credit, and then she goes through the script, right? That happens right away. Uh-huh. And we do it twice until we get a hold of the client. We also email the client the same thing.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And that's what happens in the 60 days. So it's two phone calls to try to get the client on the line or trying to get the client to call us back.
2: Okay, And
1: that's pretty much all we do with the 60 days after. And we've already told the client from the beginning of the process that this is coming after the case is done.
0: Okay, if their bankruptcy is discharged on January 1st, you're going to call them on January 2nd and let them know. But you have to pick... You have to pick up the phone again or contact them somehow again on March first to let them know they should pull their credit report, right? Yes, correct. So then you so what is the protocol at, at March first? What do you do?
1: On March first, you know, sixty days later, we move them to a step where, you know, we where we knew we couldn't get a hold of the client to do it. So what we do is we email the client and leave them a voicemail every thirty days. Okay. For two years. To ask them to pull their credit report for free, uh, and we follow through the same script. So we try for two years, wow. but in the first 60 days, we, we we do it with like a personal, personal, personal call.
0: Okay, I get it. You said that you settle a lot of the you settle every case, but you still need to probably file file a motion or how, what's the first step?
1: Complaints. Complaints.
0: Okay, so you file a complaint, and then how long does it usually take for? The uh, the credit bureaus to contact you to to settle them, the cases within 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 two weeks. Within two weeks, is, is are there any kind of exceptions to that? No, they have thirty days to respond. Uh huh.
1: They always always want to settle right away.
0: And so they usually respond within two weeks. Are there any tricks that you can do to get more money for your client and maybe? For yourself, or I don't
1: know. No, know, we, we, I mean, we have a good, solid retainer that protects us. But really, I mean, it's it's, it's pretty basic. You're we're not you're not going to make you know like a million dollars per case. You're going to make you're going to make a good four or five thousand dollars in attorney fees on on a typical case. I rarely, rarely make less than that. Time to time, we'll make a good ten to twelve thousand dollars in attorney fees. It just depends on the case. It depends on the depends on the fact pattern. It Depends on the egregiousness of the mistake as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you can you get into that uh, the egregiousness of the stake? What well, makes a mistake more egregious or less?
1: Yeah, so there's mistakes like somebody files a bankruptcy and there's three trade lines that show discharge in bankruptcy, but they also sold say 120 days delinquent and they have a payment history, right? Mm-hmm. That's more egregious than somebody who, let's say, has some the credit bureau leaves something that's technically accurate but is misleading. You know what I mean? Like last delinquency was, you know, 2 years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's it's that's technically accurate but it's misleading. So, it, you know, that's pretty much you know, it 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 varies, but most we're you're in that range. You're in that $4,000 to $10,000 range pretty much every single case.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. And then in terms of, you know, understanding the FCRA law, at this point I think we understand why filing FCRA cases and tracking people's credit report down 60 days after a bankruptcy discharge, we understand why that's valuable. But in terms of the mechanics of filing an FCRA case, you know, it took you seven months of intense reading and study to figure out FCRA. What would you recommend to a bankruptcy attorney who knows how to spell FCRA but not much more? <laughs> I would take a seminar.
1: Uh, you know, the good thing is it's, it's, uh, it's federal law. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry whether your local bar has one mm-hmm. find a seminar, but I would get the NCLC manual. If they want to really read it, that's the way I, I learned it. Now it took me seven months. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to take you a lifetime, you know, I mean, I have experience in litigation that, you know, keeps building and building and compiling, but anybody can get that. If you're a young attorney, or even if you're a middle-aged attorney, you know, it's not too late to start. Mm-hmm. If you're at the tail end of your career, you you definitely don't want to pick up something this technical and start. I wouldn't do it. Uh, it's like trying to become a divorce attorney when you're 55, mm-hmm. 60, you know, uh, learning that you, you don't want to do that. It's not worth a, it's not worth the grief, right? I would pick up the NCLC manual and I'd read it. Yeah. And don't be fooled by the word manual. It's not a manual. It's a it's a 2000-page technical book written in small print yeah. where it's, you're not read, you're not reading a novel, you're reading a very technical treatise that requires slow reading. You know, that's why it took me seven months.
0: Well, what about, you wrote a chapter in a book about the Fair Credit Reporting Act. What, what was what was the name of that book? And do you think that would be applicable to?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's like I said, it's a federal law. So it's called the Michigan Causes of Action Form Book. But this is a federal law, has nothing to do with Michigan law. Mm-hmm. So anybody could pick that up. But no one's going to want to pay no one's going to want to pay, you know, 160 bucks for that, which mm. is a book that's primarily tailored to Michigan attorneys, uh-huh. whereas they can pay the same amount of money and get a book that's tailored solely to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and they can use it as a reference point for anything they might do.
0: Well, I'm looking at your book. Your book, in your book, you have, it's Chapter 9, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, by Michael Jafar, but like... The benefit of that is that you just have to read a chapter of a book as opposed to two thousand pages or whatever.
1: yeah, yeah, I mean that that yeah, and it has sample complaint and everything but but I, I don't recommend that only because if you are getting into it for the first time, you're going to want to use something that has exhibit. that's more of a quick synopsis to teach you the basics. But you're going to want to know if you're going to get into this and you're going to file a complaint, mm. uh, you're going to make a representation to your client. And then the, the first couple of times I filed complaints, I wasn't able to settle anything, mm-hmm. right? I had to dismiss one because the, the, you know, the attorney on the other side, well, before they call you, they said, they're not going to just see your name on a pleading and say, please, let me settle. No, they're going to review it and try to find if there's anything wrong. They'll never find anything wrong with my complaints because there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. But in the first one I filed... The credit bureau for experience called and said, did you know that your client misspelled her name on several, you know, (laughs) several forms that she filled out? And this is not wrong. This is wrong. This is not her. This is not her. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I I basically begged her to let me dismiss the case. This is when I was a young attorney, Mm -hmm. right? And I I, I bit off more than I could chew. And I never made those mistakes again. And I sat down, I committed myself to understand the, understand the law right. And understand it. Now, like I said, it's not rocket science, yeah. it's not rocket science. Any attorney can understand it and they can actually become a master at it. Yeah. But I figured out the secret. The secret is to reading that book, the NCLC manual. Okay. I would absolutely recommend that you read that book. If you are going to do this without another experienced attorney doing these cases, the last thing you want to do is put in all that time, uh, aiming to make four or $5,000 and you don't understand the law and then you wasted your time whereas if you read the NCLC manual you're 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 not going to get it wrong by the way you will always get it right
0: okay so i'm looking i went to google and typed in nclc manual there's a lot of there's a reference to the nclc digital library is there just is this the book the fair credit reporting or what what's the yes yes yes
1: Yes. My book is a great, great, great pre, uh, a great uh, precursor to teach you the basics mm-hmm. on how to file a complaint on what the Fair Credit Reporting Act does. Mm-hmm. But but you got to look at that as one chapter in, in one book, whereas the NCLC manual has 26 chapters. Okay. So uh, it's a big organization that's devoted solely to this discipline.
0: Um, but the book that you would recommend is the Fair Credit Reporting book uh, here.
1: I would recommend reading my book first if you can find a copy of it for free, uh-huh. but don't spend $160 bucks. Don't because the book that I'm in is a $160 book that is absolute mandatory, not mandatory, but absolute essential in the state of Michigan mm-hmm. for attorneys who are filing all kinds of complaints in the state of Michigan. This is called the Michigan Causes of Action Form Book, uh-huh. and you buy it in the state of Michigan to help you with breach of contract cases, you know, with the derivative shareholder losses, all kinds of things, sure. right? And one of them is my, my chapter on the Fair Credit Reporting Act, right? Uh-huh. Whereas if you're just, if you're going to make a cottage industry out of doing this type of law, mm-hmm. you got to read the NCLC manual.
0: Okay, but, okay, I, I, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but is that the book called The Fair Credit Reporting? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, that's what it's called. Because yes. there's like dozens of, there's fair debt collection, federal deception law, credit discrimination. There's a lot of different kind of yes. t- titles out there. Got it. Awesome. And then the attorney's fees that are paid, do you need to do anything special to, like, w- when the when the settlement occurs, to so the, the the credit bureaus just pay you directly and then you do a dispersal to your to your client? How does that work?
1: Yeah, they just write a check to you, put it in your IOTA account, and disperse you and then your client.
0: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Is there anything else that you think that um, we should cover for for wannabe FCRA attorneys out there?
1: No, this is this has been a pretty pretty good pretty good discussion. Uh, uh, the, the, the difficult thing is, uh, you know, marketing it, changing the culture within your firm. Uh-huh. That's that's really the difficult part. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, habits. That's a, that's the difficult part. That is it. That's the main main thing.
0: Well, do you have any tips for like you know you have a crusty old paralegal who you know, has this, who sometimes corrects you and is just crusty and and has maybe uh, his or her own way of doing things. And then you tell them, look, this is really important. Like, how do you get them to change their ways? That's tough.
1: I wasn't able to easily fix that with my first paralegal. I, thankfully, you know, she moved on and I was able to hire new people. I did this early on. I did this, I think, two years into my career. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's easier for me, but I have colleagues, you know, who've been in practice much longer than me yeah. and they are just completely unable. And that's why, that's why they're not, that's why they're kind of, dino, you know, uh, dinosaurs and relics in the practice now
2: yeah.
1: for many reasons, you know, the technology age came in and, you know, people aren't meeting their attorneys as much face to face. So people want to telephone consultations and just it, it's kind of like with everything else in the practice right? Everything is different now in the age of Twitter and and Facebook and everything is just different. Yeah,
2: yeah. So
1: with, with respect to having a crusty old paralegal, that means that the attorney themselves may be a crusty old attorney.
2: Yeah.
1: If you yourself, if the attorney believes in it and he wants to do it, then it will per- permeate throughout his organization and it will happen. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the discussion you and I had on the private student loans. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Even though I, we just had uh, an article in, in, uh, in Market Watch
2: mm-hmm.
1: on a big victory we had since our podcast in the Western District of Michigan mm-hmm. against Wells Fargo. It does, doesn't. You know, it doesn't matter if I send them that article and say, "Hey, listen, we're we're beating these guys. We we can discharge private student loans. Yeah. let me go through your files with you and so you can spot some good cases." They just don't care, yeah. right? Um, so it's kind of with anything, if you believe in it, everyone in your organization will believe in it. If you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to focus on this today, I'm going to find cases, uh, for private student loans. I'm going to, I'm going to train my staff on the FCRA. We're going to have a new culture here. We're going to help people with their credit reports. If you have that great. if you don't have that,
0: then you're not going to be able to do anything
1: uh, really uh, of note. You just, just don't, don't even try.
0: I really like this SCRA stuff for the two reasons that we've already discussed. But just to review, number one, you're offering a better experience to your client, and you're making sure that you're offering, giving a hundred percent of your clients the full benefit of a bankruptcy, which includes a clear credit report. So I really like that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And the second thing I really like is that you you can more than double your revenues if you start filing FCRa complaints, and you don't need to be. Uh, Clarence Darrow and uh, an amazing litigator, your Michael Jafar, hasn't been in court for 10 years and, and settles FCRA yeah. complaints, dozens of hundreds of FCRA complaints a year perhaps, you know. Yep,
2: yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: So this all sounds very doable. If you're uh, if you're out there, start believing in FCRA and uh, buy those books and Michael, if they if they want to reach out to you to maybe for some help or maybe to be co-counsel on some complicated FCRA cases, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: They can contact me directly. Uh, I will give my direct number to all my colleagues around the country. Uh, my direct line is 313-801-8809, 313-801-8809. Uh, or they can email me, mike at fairmaxlaw.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming back okay. and uh, schooling us on this stuff, too. It's great talking to you, by the way. Thank okay. you so much. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.